an assertion. God is omnipotent. If you're reading in our confession, you'll see uh, the very simple word, almighty. That's what we mean when we say that God is omnipotent. He is almighty. And there are around 30 texts of Scripture in this chapter uh, that we're, we're going to at least hear read this evening. We'll turn to most of them, but we won't turn to all of them for the sake of time. But we begin, as we often do, with uh, an, an understanding of the word omnipotent. I hope that you parents will, will do this with your children from time to time, is take these terms that are theological terms for us and, and ask them, what does it mean? What does the word omnipotent mean? What does immutable mean? Words that we really are not going to use anywhere else except for in the study of God, theology proper is what we call the study of God. But it's important to understand where these words come from. I, I, for me, understanding how the words are made up is what helps me to remember them. That's why this is, to me, this is an enjoyable thing to, to look at these words. The word omnipotent, he says, comes from the Latin word omnipotens, which is a uh, conglomeration of two words. Omnis, meaning all. Anytime you see omni... Or omnis, that is a reference to all. And then the word potens, which means powerful. Think of the word potent or potency. A, a smell could be potent. That means it's powerful. That's the, the idea behind that word potens or potent, power. This word refers to the attribute of having infinite strength or unlimited power. Literally, all power. All potency. Now I'll read. With regard to God, the word means that He can do all that He has determined to do and no person or force can hinder Him or oblige Him to do the contrary. To say that God can do all things means that He can do all that is in agreement with His most holy, righteous, and loving nature. He cannot contradict Himself he cannot be cruel or selfish. He cannot lie. He cannot break a promise. He cannot do the absurd. And then there are these questions that people will often ask. Children, be ready. People might ask these questions. Can God make a square circle? Well, no, that would be absurd. If it's square, it's not a circle. God can't do that. Can God make a triangle with four corners? No, He can't. Because if it's got four corners, it's a square or a rectangle. It's not a triangle. It, it won't work. This is a, a very well-known question. Can God make a rock so big that even God can't pick it up? Well, no, He can't. That would be an absurdity. Another one that I heard this week, somebody uh, might ask, could God create another God? Well, no, that's not possible because if He creates something, then that thing He created is by definition not God. It's a creature. He can't do absurd things like that, but He can do all His holy and righteous will. And He, he does give us there two divisions within this doctrine of God's omnipotence, so sort of a positive and, and a negative. To say that God is omnipotent means that God can do all that He has determined to do in accord with His own nature. Negatively, nothing can stop God from doing what He has determined to do. Others have added a, 
a third perspective on God's omnipotence. And, and this is what we might consider God's omnipotence absolutely considered or as it is considered in God Himself. Notice that he says what the word means is that God can do. It, 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 he immediately begins to come outside of God in His doing and in His acting. But really the omnipotence of God doesn't begin with what He does but with who God is in Himself. With this line of thinking, we could say that not only can God do all that He has determined to do according to His own nature, but He has all power to do an infinite number of things which He does not actually do. Now, why is that important? Why is it important that we say, well, God has the power to do many things that He hasn't determined to do? Well... I think we would have to say in a world of infinite possibilities, we would confess God could have done a lot of things that He didn't do. There are things that He did not do that He could have done. He could have given me blonde hair, but He didn't. Well, somebody might come along and say, well, the reason He didn't do that is because He can't. No, He's omnipotent. Absolutely in Himself, He has all power to do an infinite number of things that He hasn't actually done. The reason that he didn't do them is not because he can't. It's not because he was limited, but rather it's simply because he has determined not to do them. And he's determined not to do them simply because he's determined not to do them. It's not a limitation of his power. With this in mind, we could deduce three simple ways to assert God's omnipotence. First, in God, God has all power or God is all power in Himself essentially. Then coming out of Himself, God has power to do all things which accord with His nature and will. And nothing can stop God from doing all His holy will. Why? Because He's omnipotent. He has all power. Now, with respect to His other attributes, as we've said, all of God's attributes coincide together. In God, they are simply God Himself. There is no parceling out of, of God into parts or pieces. And so I, I think very oftentimes it helps us to come back to uh, some of the other attributes we've studied and show how this new one that we're adding into our, our database of information, how this would interact with and how it goes along with His other attributes. For example, we have said that God is infinite. No limits, no bounds. Well, omnipotence is just God's infinitude with regard to power. There's no limit or boundary to God's power. There's no minimum power or maximum power. There's no turning it up or turning it down. He is simply all power. We've said that God is independent. Well, that means God is not dependent on any power but His own. Everything that isn't God relies on God's power, but He relies on none. We've said that God is perfect. Well, if, God, if there was something that God wanted to do, but He couldn't do it because He were limited in some way, well, He wouldn't be perfect. If God needed power from something else in order to accomplish His will, well, again, He would not be perfect, but He doesn't, he doesn't need that. He has all power in Himself. He's perfect, complete in Himself. God is good, but what if there were some goodness in God that He simply were not able to communicate to the creature? We'd say, well, 
What good is that? But the omnipotence of God reminds us that there is nothing stopping God from communicating all of His goodness however He pleases. Nothing can stop Him. God is just. But what if there were something that stopped God or hindered God from executing perfect justice? Well, we wouldn't, we, we, we wouldn't be able to say that He's actually just. But because He's omnipotent, that lets us know nothing can stop God from executing perfect justice. And you could go on down the line. You see how all of these attributes of God work together. God's power is in perfect agreement with who God is at every point. And this is why we say that there is an absolute power in God in accord with who He is. Absolute power does not mean that God is able to do the absurd or act contrary to Himself. Men in the past have put this forward. God has absolute power, which means there is nothing He cannot do. If He wants to sin, if He wants to lie, if He wants to do the absurd, He's absolute power. Well, no, He cannot do anything contrary to His will. Absolute power in accord with who He is. At the same time, there is more power in God than is actually exerted in the universe. His power transcends the universe. It's without bounds. If we were able to somehow collect all of the active power in every star in every galaxy, and all the power of our own sun, and all of the exerted power of every creature, human or animal, that's ever lived, every watt of power ever produced by a nuclear power plant or a hydroelectric power plant that's ever been produced, all of the strength of every little ripple of every ocean and every river and stream, and all of the force of all of the winds that have ever moved across our planet from the foundation of the world until now, until the end of time, if we could somehow gather all of that up and, and pack it into one unit, one cell, and then we compared that to the power of God, it would be as if we picked up a grain of sand from the ocean and said, look, I'm holding the earth in my hand. It, it's, it's, there's no comparison. There's no relation some of the men were, we were talking yesterday about E equals MC squared. I've I seen it again this afternoon. The idea is basically anything that has mass can be converted to some uh, amount of energy through that equation. Energy equals mass times the square of the speed of light. Anyway, so in this thing I'm watching, they said a single tree, if you took the mass of a single tree, one tree, and you can use that formula to convert that into energy power. I think the number was it would produce 45, I think it was 45 or 450 trillion kilowatt hours of power. To, come, to, to put that into perspective, our country uses about 4 trillion kilowatt hours of power or produces that much in a year. One tree. Now think of the, the amount of energy that would be contained just in our planet, in our solar system, in the universe, and yet all of this to God is, is nothing. He created it. It's, it is a speck in comparison. Why? Because He is omnipotent. He is all power. God is infinite, perfect, eternal power. Synonyms that we see in Scripture 
or that we might use would be words like strength or might or ability or capability. What we're saying is God is almighty. God is omnipotent. He does as He pleases and nothing can stop Him. And then back to the the book we read for the Christian, the omnipotence of God instills absolute confidence. God is powerful to do all that He has promised. For the unbeliever, the omnipotence of God instills terror because no man can resist His will or escape His judgment. So then, moving into the first category... As we often do, we begin with the names of God that are given in Scripture. And here there are 11 texts. In the book, they are fill-in-the-blank texts. So I won't turn to all of these. I'll just read them under the various categories. And hopefully this will give you an idea of what you're looking for. As you're reading the Scriptures, I've told you before, one thing I like to do is read through the Scriptures and read a verse and, and, and write something about God from that verse. Beginning, begin the statement with, God is blank from whatever the verse. How does it teach me about God? Well, when you learn these various names that are given to God, you'll be able to recognize, hey, this verse is addressing something about God. The first one is He's referred to as God Almighty, Genesis 17.1 Now when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. First person statement, God declaring who He is of Himself, I am God Almighty. At the very beginning of Scripture. Then we go all the way to the end of the canon in the book of the Revelation, Revelation 4.8. The four living creatures, each one of them having six wings, are full of eyes around and within, and day and night they do not cease to say, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And then in Revelation 19.6, Then I heard something like the voice of a great multitude and like the sound of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. So we see from Genesis to Revelation, God makes Himself known and is known by all creation as the Almighty. He's the only one. The next name is the, the Lord strong and mighty, Psalm 24, 8. Who is the King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. He's called a rock of strength in Psalm 31, verse 2. Incline your ear to me. Rescue me quickly. Be to me a rock of strength, a stronghold to save me. In Psalm 61, 3, he's called a tower of strength. For you have been a refuge for me, a tower of strength against the enemies. Both of these last two, they, they remind us that God's strength is meant to be for our protection, for our good. It is, it is uh, to our benefit that we would run to Him because He is a rock of strength and a tower of strength. He's called the mighty God in Isaiah 9-6. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on His shoulders, and His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. A text we know is referring to the Son of God, the incarnate Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then, and, and I had never noticed this, but in the next chapter, Isaiah 10, 21, a remnant will return, the remnant of Jacob, to the mighty God. 
In chapter 9, a child will be born. He will be called Mighty God. In chapter 10, a remnant will return to the Mighty God. He's also referred to as the Mighty One, Luke 1, For the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is His name. Now John Gill, as he's, he, he deals with this attribute of God, he, he ties together two texts of Scripture. And I found this interesting. If I were to read Hebrews 1.3 to you, which says, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. If I said, who, what or who is the majesty, you would say that's a reference to God. Christ sat down at the right hand of God, the majesty on high. Well, Matthew 26.64, Christ Himself says, You will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power. Gill concludes that Christ gives this name to God, power. He is simply power. He's called power. Why? Because He is omnipotent. He is all unbounded strength. Why would you worship anything else? Why would you, why would you devote your, your time, your thoughts, your energy to anything else in this world besides this God? He is all-powerful, almighty, the mighty God, tower of strength, rock of strength, the Lord strong and mighty. Why would we lean on anything else ever in this world for, um, for happiness, for joy, for peace, for comfort? Nothing else in all of creation has claimed any of these titles. The Omnipotent. And yet how often do we do that? We, we lean ourselves, we rest ourselves, we, we try to find comfort and peace in things that are creatures. Nothing compared to the mighty God. And He presents Himself time and time again in Scripture as... The mighty one, omnipotent. The second heading now, and we'll, we'll begin, you can turn to these now. Jeremiah 32, and there are two, two verses in this chapter. Jeremiah chapter 32. These, these next two passages, we are to read them, and then there are two questions. What does it teach? And then, is there anything beyond the power of God? Genesis, or, uh, Jeremiah 32, 17. Ah, Lord God, behold, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too difficult for you. And then in verse 27. Behold, I am the Lord... The God of all flesh is anything too difficult for me. First question, what, what do these passages teach us about the omnipotence of God? Well, it, we see here that the heavens and the earth, that would be all creation, anything that we would know that might contain in it some sort of power or energy or strength, all of that is simply the product of God's own power. You have made the heavens and the earth by your great power. We also learn here, this is a, a, another important Bible reading tool that this reference to God's outstretched arm. Does God have arms? No. This is an anthropomorphism. This is using the anatomy of a human being to describe God. So the outstretched arm of God is a reference to His power, His strength. Because for men, we use our arms to lift and to accomplish things. God worked by His outstretched arm. Also, 
We know God created by the Word and upholds all things by the Word. And so very often when you see the, uh, a reference to God's mighty arm being uh, born before the nations, you could also think not only of God's power in Himself, but God's power as revealed in Christ, the eternal Word. But that's what this teaches. God, anything that we know that would have power, God made it by His own power. So then is there anything beyond the power of God? The answer is no. In verse 17, it's asserted, nothing is too difficult for you. And then in verse 27, God asks it rhetorically, is anything too difficult for me? The answer is no, nothing is too difficult for God. The next passage is Matthew 19, 26. Matthew 19, 26, you know the the story of the rich young ruler. Jesus says in verse 23, Truly I say to you, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were very astonished and said, Then who can be saved? And looking at them, Jesus said to them, With people, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. With God, all things are possible. What does this verse teach? Well, with reference to God, again, in accord with His nature, in accord with His will, all things are possible. Is there anything beyond the power of God? Again, the answer is no. Man... We, as, as creatures, we are limited by many things. There are many things that we cannot do. I'm even b- beginning to feel my own physical strength begin to, to leave. And I'm learning there are things that I used to could do that I can't do anymore. Some of you guys go home and try to do a pull-up tonight and see how strong you feel. You realize there's, there's things I used to could do I can't do anymore. We are so very limited. Well, what this is saying is, yeah, with man, there are a lot of things that are just not possible. But with God, there is nothing that is impossible because God is not like man. God is creator. He is omnipotent. We rely on Him, but He relies on nothing and no one. Nothing is beyond the power of God. If you're not a Christian, your salvation is not outside of or beyond the power of God. There's no one that God can't save. If anyone comes to Him in repentance and faith through Christ... God has the power to save and has actually promised that those who come, He will save. And we'll see in a minute, what God says He'll do, He'll do. There's no lacking in God. Nothing is beyond the power of God. The third heading goes into that very point. These texts, it says the implications of the omnipotence of God, or some of them, is that it assures us that He is able to carry out all that He has determined to do. We'll look at these, and there are, there are six passages. We're going to turn to five of them, and then the other one we're going to look at in the next point. So the first one is Job 42.1. Job chapter 42, verse 1. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. 
In other words, whatever God intends to do, He does it, and He does it without hindrance as He pleases. I, I find it interesting. We know the, the background of the story of Job, and we've, we've been reading it. Satan comes, and God sort of pitches Job to Satan. Satan carries out many things in Job's life and brings great affliction, not the least of which is his enduring of his friends and their, their accusations. But when it comes to the end of the matter, Job doesn't say, well, now I know that Satan can do all things. He ascribes it to God. He knew God has done these, as, as we've said and you've heard. The, the devil only does what God uh, allows and, and, and uh, commissions him to, to do, especially with his people. The next one is Psalm 115.3. This is the one we're going to look at in the next point. I'll just read it. But our God is in the heavens. He does whatever He pleases. The good pleasure of God is the track upon which all His actions ride. Whatever He pleases, that's what happens. If it doesn't happen, it's because He didn't please to do it. Psalm 135 verses 5 and 6, you can turn there. Psalm 135, 5 and 6, For I know that the Lord is great and that our Lord is above all gods. Whatever the Lord pleases, He does, in heaven and in earth, in the seas and all deeps. In other words, there is no place in all of creation that is outside of the unbounded omnipotence of God. There's no location, whether it's down in the, the deepest ocean or the darkest corner of the universe, there's nowhere that has a gate that locks out God's omnipotent power or that presents a closed door to His omnipotence. Isaiah 14. Verses 24 and then... 27. Again, the point is that the omnipotence of God manifests itself and that He does whatever He's determined to do. Verse 24, The Lord of hosts has sworn, saying, Surely, just as I have intended, so it has happened, and just as I have planned, so it will stand. Then verse 27, For the Lord of hosts has planned, and who can frustrate it? And as for his stretched out hand, who can turn it back? In other words, everything happens as God has planned. No one can frustrate his plans. And there we see again a reference to his stretched out hand. An anthropomorphism with reference to his power, his omnipotence. In other words, the illustration is when God sets his uh, proverbial hand to the work by way of his purposes, it is Done. It is brought forth. Once his hand goes to the plow, there's no stopping it. And that, even back into eternity and his eternal decree. Daniel chapter 4 verse 35 is the next one. Daniel 4.35, we've read this account many times of Nebuchadnezzar. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing... But He does according to His will in the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And no one can ward off His hand or say to Him, What have you done? So we saw in 
Psalm 135, with regard to location, there's nowhere where God's omnipotence is not set forth. Here we see, among all creatures, God's power is unbounded. No one stops Him. No one stands as judge over God. No place, no thing, no person is off limits to the power of God. You can think of Nebuchadnezzar, and as as far as he knew, and as far as I know, there, there was no king in the world more powerful than him. And he just got bent over and made to eat grass. So he says, hey, listen, this God, he does whatever he pleases. Nobody's stopping him, not even the most powerful king in the world. No one can present any kind of restraining order on God, limiting what He can and cannot do because He's omnipotent. Whatever He purposes, that's what He does. And then we see this in the New Testament in Ephesians 1.11. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11. In Him also we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to His purpose, who works all things after the counsel of His will. So God's counsel, which is found in His own eternal will, His own eternal decree in Himself, that's His counsel, that is the blueprint for everything that happens. He works all things after that counsel. Actively, powerfully, providentially working in. He's he's not vacated the premises. He's not backed off, but He's actively working in all things so that we could say no created thing or event, nothing that will ever happen in creation is, this is bad English, nothing is not an instrument in God's mighty hand to use as He pleases. In other words, He works all things, everything, whatever's happening. He's working that according to his, the counsel of His will, as He has determined in Himself in eternity. As our confession says, all things whatsoever come to pass. The fourth heading takes us back to Psalm 115. So let's talk, go back to, to Psalm 115 now. And here we see God distinguished with idols. And the point is that the omnipotence of God is one of those attributes that clearly distinguishes Him from any false idol, anything that man could come up with. So we'll, we'll read through these verses and, and there are questions. The first one with regard to verses 3 through 8, How is the omnipotent God of the Scriptures contrasted with worth, the worthless idols of men? So look at... Psalm 115.3. Here we have the true God described. But our God is in the heavens. He does whatever He pleases. So we, we see several things. First, God does. We could say God acts. We also learn here that God pleases as an infinite, eternal, rational spirit, God has a will. He has purposes, desires. He, he pleases or wills 
to do things. But what we see here, our God is in the heavens. He does whatever He pleases. Now, we could extract from that certain things like how this might work logically in God Himself. The, the will of God, the pleasure of God precedes His doing. His doing is always in exact conformity to His pleasing, His will, His purpose. Now, this is very different from us. There are a lot of things that we would like to do, would, would uh, de- have desires to accomplish, and yet we cannot, and we do not. With God, it is not that way. There is no difference, no separation or incongruity between what God wills, or desires, pleases to do, and what actually happens, what He actually does. Now, how can that be? Because He's omnipotent. Nothing can stop Him. Nothing slows Him down. For us, many things hinder us. The, 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 the ticking of the clock hinders us. There's just not enough time in a day, we say. I'm limited. I'm not strong enough. I'm not fast enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not going down the list. So many things uh, limit us from doing things that we say we want to do. But with God, His pleasing, His pleasure, His will is His acting. That's the true God. Now we're going to compare that with the worthless idols of men. Verse 4, their idols are silver and gold. The work of man's hands. They have mouths, but they cannot speak. They have eyes, but they cannot see. They have ears, but they cannot hear. They have noses, but they cannot smell. They have hands, but they cannot feel. They have feet, but they cannot walk. They cannot make a sound with their throat. Those who make them will become like them, everyone who trusts in them. So notice the difference. First, the work of man's hands. Men have to make their own idols. God is uncreated. I think it's also interesting. I, I, we could probably say these things would apply to several different, different time, types of creatures, but it sounds like these idols are designed to look like men. They have these various characteristics of, that are human characteristics. Eyes, ears, nose, hands, feet, throat. And yet, here's the difference, they do nothing. God does. Idols do nothing. There is no acting in an idol. What's the difference? God is omnipotent. Idols, with an idol... There's no power at all. God is all power. Idols, no power. Nothing. They can't even make themselves the the best we see from Scripture. The best power that you might get out of an idol is if you throw it in the wood stove and let it warm your hands a little bit. That's the the best you're going to get out of it as it's destroyed. But God, He's omnipotent. So then, the next question, how should we respond? Well, we keep reading. O Israel, verse 9 O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. What should we do? We see who God is. We see what idols are. Again, we, we think in terms of the, the, the old pagan way of making idols, but there are many things that we fashion that are idols that become I- idols to us in our lives. We see God laid over against all of these things that we might come up with. What is the only rational response? Trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. 
lay your whole body and soul and eternity upon God. But negatively, at any point where you are putting your trust in anything else, anything not God, you must renounce that, denounce that trust at once and place your trust in God. Now, very often we, when we hear that, we think, well, I'm not trusting in anything else to save me. I'm trusting in God to save me. This is not just for things like regeneration, justification, sanctification. Anywhere where you're putting any kind of trust or hope in any created thing. Trust, trusting in created things to give you joy or rest or peace or uh, feelings of exhilaration or a, 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 a thrill of some sort. Let it go. Don't look to those things. They cannot satisfy, as you know. Thrill, thrill seekers and things like that, they're just evidence. It's never enough. It never stops. It can't provide. That little rush, it can't provide. Yet we have a God who is omnipotent, all power, all life in Himself. We also learn that idolatry will only produce a dumb, lifeless existence. Those who trust in idols become like them. The fifth point. We read the omnipotence of God has great implications for the Christian who trusts in Him, His will and His promises. According to the following scriptures, what does the omnipotence of God mean for those of us who believe? So this would be a parallel with the idolatry of Psalm 115. If you're going to trust in idols... There are spiritual repercussions, a dumb, lifeless existence. But if you'll, if you'll take the bait, if you'll adhere to the advertisement, I'm trying to compel you to trust in God. If anybody else came along and they were advertising anything else and they said, listen, you've got to try it. It's the thing. It always works. It's super cheap. As a matter of fact, it's free. You would say, oh, i got to go get it. You'd be thinking, well, you know, can I look on the Internet today? Is it the Lord's Day? Am I allowed to Google things that I might buy tomorrow? You would want to have it. This is how we are with everything. And yet, when God is advertised as omnipotent, the one to uphold our souls for eternity, we say, meh, that shouldn't be. So I'm trying to advertise this God to you by, say, by saying there are also repercussions for those who will trust in God. These are great, wonderful blessings to the life and the soul. And here we have six passages of Scripture. Joshua 23, 14. Joshua 23, 14. Now behold, today I am going the way of all the earth. And you know in all your hearts and in all your souls that not one word of all the good words which the Lord your God spoke concerning you has failed. All have been fulfilled for you. Not one of them has failed. What's the benefit of God's omnipotence? We've seen whatever God determines, whatever God promises, nothing can stop Him from doing it. So here He's done it. And Joshua says, you can have a confidence in you that all of God's promises to us will be fulfilled. Nobody can stop Him. You can't even stop God from fulfilling His promises. 
And we also have what I would call a settled experiential conviction. I love how Joshua deals with them. You know in all your hearts and souls. You know it. You've lived it. You heard the promises. Here we are. Deal with it. Everything he said he was going to do, he's done. That's a, that's a wonderful, felt, settled, experiential conviction a believer can come to. I see God fulfilling His promises. I know in my heart and my soul that it is true. That's a blessing to our souls. Psalm 121. Psalm 121 verses 4 and 5. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. Now we have to go to sleep because we need to be rejuvenated. We need to have rest. Our bodies need it. From what I understand, our bodies, as we're sleeping, go through processes of healing and things like that. We have to have sleep. God doesn't have to have sleep. He's all power. All power can't sleep. There's no rest in God. So what's the blessing here? In modern vernacular, 24-7 customer support with God. He never sleeps. He never slumbers. He's not going anywhere. Doesn't get tired. Doesn't get worn out. He's always right there. He's your keeper. The God who is omnipotent is also infinite, eternal, and immutable. His eye is always on His people. As you sleep, He's watching. As it were, hovering and just there, ready for us. That's a comfort, a blessing to us. Romans 8.31 What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? Or who can be against us? Well, we have the omnipotent God. Well, what's the blessing to our souls? Well, it's fearlessness in the face of all opposition. As long as we walk in the way of the Lord, defeat is not a possibility. can't happen. And we have that confidence. Is, is someone going to overthrow the omnipotent God? Is He going to overthrow you as you're walking in the pathways of the omnipotent God? No. It can't happen. So we have that confidence. Philippians 1.6 For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Here we learn that we can have optimism with regard to sanctification and final glory. A lot of times we get a little downcast about the speed of our sanctification. God says, not a problem for Him. He's omnipotent. He will bring it to pass. He's not limited in His sanctifying work. To sanctify... Some refer to glorification as final sanctification. To sanctify or to glorify. To glorify a saint forever 
is no more difficult for God than releasing an autumn leaf from a tree branch and watching it fall. Nothing to Him. Nothing to God. Let me just read through some of these for the sake of time. 2 Corinthians 3, 4, and 5. Such confidence we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God. All strength, all grace, all power needed for any assignment given to us from God will be provided from God. We saw this morning, Paul says, I'm a testimony, I'm an example of Christ's mercy and God's patience to others. Here, Paul the Apostle, speaking as an apostle, says, Listen, I'm telling you, our adequacy is not from us. It's not coming from us, it's from God. So what great confidence and comfort do we have? Whatever God calls us to do, we, we are in no way expected to dig down deep in our own souls and muster up the confidence. God will provide it. God will provide the strength. Our strength is from God. God never requires us to drum up our own support. He is our strength. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. You know the context. Paul says, is basically saying, I can, I've learned how to endure every type of circumstance, good and bad, whatever the Lord brings to me. And here we learn God will be the strength of His people to endure with patience and hope whatever life presents to us. And nothing can stop Him. Why? Because He's promised to do that. Confidence, support, conviction, oversight, provision, boldness, optimism, boundless strength, constant nearness. We have all of these if we will simply trust in our omnipotent God. All of it is ours. That fairly well-known text, I think, in Isaiah 40 that talks about those who wait upon the Lord, renewing their strength and, and all that. Let me read it. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. And they shall mount up with wing, wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Now this is not saying, if, hey, if you trust in the Lord, tomorrow you'll be able to do 17 push-ups and 30 pull-ups and you'll be able to run and not... That's not he's talking about spiritual, uh, spiritual strength in the soul to, to, to live as a Christian as God's called us to live. We often wallow and sulk and complain because we will not look to Him. We will not trust. And, and then we act as though the Christian life is very often just a miserable drudgery, dragging our feet through mud like Pharaoh's chariots and the wheels marred up. That's not what God calls us to. He says, I'll give you the strength. I'll carry you. I'll lift you up like, an, like on eagle's wings if you'll just trust, but we don't. Trust the Lord. He is omnipotent. We're not to be omnipotent. We're never commanded to be omnipotent or expected to be. He is. So then the final two points are, are our response. Faith 
and obedience. Since God is omnipotent, then we should respond with faith and obedience. As, with regard to faith, both of these use Abraham as an example. Romans 4, 19-21. Without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body, now as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, in the deadness of Sarah's womb. Here's, here's what Abraham's doing. He's contemplating his body, saying, I'm, I'm as good as dead. I'm about 100 years old. He's contemplating the deadness of Sarah's womb. He's looking over at his wife. She's old as well. White hair, wrinkled, looking at her. She's supposed to have a baby. He's thinking about these things. Yet, with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief. None of that contemplation caused Abraham to begin to think, well, I don't know if it'll happen or not. No, what does it say? He grew strong in faith giving glory to God, being fully assured that what God has pr had promised, He was able to perform. Trust that God will perform what He's promised. Very often as time passes, our faith weakens. For Abraham, as time passed, he grew stronger and stronger because he was resting in the promise of God, not what he could see with his eyes. As we've said many times, faith is like a muscle. It gets stronger with use. And the way that you use faith is by fixing it upon the object, the promise. And it gets stronger and stronger because you don't yet have the, you're not, you've not yet gotten the full consummation of what God has promised. So that strengthens our faith. Since God is omnipotent and able to accomplish all His holy will, then we should trust in Him. Trust in Him. And then there's obedience. Genesis 17, 1 again. Now when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. We should obey God because He is Almighty. At the same time, we can obey God with hope because He is Almighty. The strength to obey God doesn't come from us. He never says, muster up your own strength and obey and we'll see how you do. I'll meet you at the finish line. Ever. He is the strength of His people. So we can obey with confidence because God is omnipotent. Well, let's pray and then we'll stand and we'll close with a song.